Hi, my name is Caitlin Russell, and I'm a nursing student at Trent University. I will share my learning experiences over five chosen topics based on their importance to me personally and how they will guide me as a student and future RN. The topics I've decided to share with you are palliative care, mental health and addiction, culturally safe health care, uh, women's health, and leadership. To start us off, I'm going to talk about palliative care. I'm an RPN at the hospital working in palliative care. Through this, I have gained a deep appreciation and understanding of the transformation from life to death. A butterfly is used to signify this transformation and is placed outside the person's door once they have passed. Over the years, I have sat with family members talking them through the process of a loved one dying. I have held the hands of those who are perishing, wishing them well and safe travels as they pass on from our world. I have cried and listened to the retelling of significant life events and watched loved ones say their goodbyes. The article, Nursing in the Future of Palliative Care, describes a significant shift nurses have gone through in their approach to care, moving from a task-oriented focus on vital signs, treatments, and interventions to that of one where they now prioritize comfort care, symptom management, and emotional support for patients facing severe end-of-life illnesses. This transition involves combining caring with the science with the sciences to deliver compassionate and individualized care palliative care nurses must navigate complex social dynamics and communicate about patient death and grief while exhibiting heightened emotional resilience palliative care is holistic and addresses the patients and their family's physical emotional and spiritual needs dr shitra v discusses in her ted talk how palliative care can change the way we practice medicine that there needs to be a shift to whole person care, shifting from the term patient to the term person. Palliative care is required to address the quality of life and the quality of dying. The relational inquiry has allowed me to take a deeper dive into palliative care as I already had a base knowledge of this subject. I was able to conduct further research, gaining more knowledge and perspective from professionals in the specialty, expanding evidence-based practice and the well-being of all involved. This continuation of analysis will allow me to be a better practitioner, nursing student, and future RN. Shifting to our second topic, I will discuss mental health and addiction. I will give you a little background on why this topic is so important to me. I had a partner who struggled with substance use disorder. I did not know how deeply rooted his addiction was when we first started dating. I thought it was a party phase that he would grow out of as our relationship became more serious, but the opposite occurred. His addiction and mental health began to suffer tremendously. He no longer used party drugs. He moved on to using opiates, heroin and fentanyl specifically. I watched addiction uh, grip his entire being. The person I knew slowly began to slip through the cracks. The man who stood before me lied, manipulated and stole from me to feed his addiction. And there was nothing I could do to help. Our relationship changed from a partner to a caregiver role, and the fight for sobriety eventually began. It was a long and challenging process, and suppressed mental illness and trauma were discovered. He managed to get sober, but our relationship deteriorated in the process. I've gained an understanding of mental health and addiction through watching a loved one return from the brink of death and work through their addiction and mental health to achieve sobriety. Language can be so harmful to someone who is struggling with mental health and addiction. It can create stigma, inequities, and barriers to healthcare that propel them in a negative direction. Erica Ball, a recovering addict, discusses in her TED Talk, Changing the Stigma of Mental Health and Addiction, of the importance of continuing care 
for this population once they, ha uh, once they leave the hospital or medical setting. She also discusses the importance of validating a person's life stories and including their families in the aftercare process. The medical definition of addiction is that it is a treatable chronic medical disease. It is a complex interaction between brain circuits, genetics, environment, and a person's lived experience. In his discussion, uh, the best explanation of addiction I've ever heard by Dr. Gaber Mate, uh, he describes addiction as a response of human suffering. I chose this video to share as it explores the effects of mental health and addiction in the downtown east side of Vancouver, known to be one of the worst places for drug use. Uh, Dr. Gaber calls it trench warfare. He further explains the health outcomes of people with substance use disorder, exacerbated mental health problems, psychosis, communicable diseases like hepatitis and HIV, cancer, overdoses, and death. How does this affect me as a nursing student future RN? Well, focusing on the relational inquiry for patient and family well-being for individuals with mental health and addiction would be to view health as a socio-relational experience and enhance the capacity and resources for meaningful life experiences by increasing the individual's capacity and power. I'm going to switch to culturally safe healthcare as that is my third topic to discuss. Um, specifically focusing on the Indigenous community. So, the Canadian Medical Association discusses the topic of Indigenous health, integrating cultural awareness, being aware that differences exist, cultural sensitivity, understanding and respecting cultural differences, cultural safety, considering historical, social, and political contexts of racism and discrimination, and cultural competence, which is understanding one's own culture and getting skills and knowledge to work with other cultures. The video posted from Northern Health Indigenous Health further illustrates the significance of culturally safe healthcare and how to achieve it, discussing dignity and respect. The Truth and Reconciliation 94 Calls to Action were formed as a means of reckoning and uh, reckoning the forced assimilation abuse left behind by the residential school system, which was an extension of colonialism. The calls to action were created to guide governments, communities, and faith groups on the road to reconciliation. The health section consists of seven calls to action. Um, all are at the in-progress stage. Four have proposed projects that are not yet underway, and three have projects underway. None of the health calls to action have been completed. The list of calls to action for healthcare are as follows. 18, recognize and implement the healthcare rights of Aboriginal people. 19, identify and close gaps in health outcomes between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal communities. 20, recognize, respect, and address the distinct health needs of the Métis, Inuit, and off-reserve Aboriginal peoples. 21, provide sustainable, sustainable funding for existing and new Aboriginal healing centers. 22, recognize the value of Aboriginal healing practices and use them in the treatment of Aboriginal patients. 23, increase the number of Aboriginal professionals working in, health, in the healthcare field. And 24, require all medical and nursing students to take a course in dealing with Aboriginal health issues. So looking at relational inquiry for um, culturally safe healthcare, 
It allows me to deconstruct this topic using a post-colonial critical lens, seeing how inequities are structured by colonialism and racism. The RNAO has commented on the subject, stating the blatant atrocities suffered by Indigenous people spurred RNAO to continue its long-standing partnership with Indigenous communities to address the impacts of racism and discrimination on their health and wellness. I believe this is a step in the right direction. However, I do not personally agree that none of the health care calls to action have been completed. But being aware of the inequities and practicing with cultural safety will allow me to be a better student and future practitioner. The fourth topic to be discussed is women's health. As a woman in healthcare, I believe this to be of great importance for myself and the betterment of women worldwide. Taylor Keller discusses in her TED Talk, Join the Sisterhood, Uncovering a Blind Spot in Women's Health, that she had a hormonal disorder that took five years to diagnose. She had numerous symptoms that were talked up to be symptoms attributed with being um, emotional or dramatic and was told to take her vitamins and the symptoms would pass. Taylor further discusses women's healthcare gaps by studying the National Institute of Health Revitalization of 1993, which is a, um, the federal law did not include women as a minority in clinical research until that time, leading to a significant knowledge gap surrounding women's health. These gaps in healthcare have led to an increased rate of morbidity and mortality in women worldwide. The WHO estimates that approximately 287,000 women died in 2020 worldwide because of pregnancy-related complications. 95% of those women died due to maternal complexities like severe bleeding, infection, and preeclampsia and occurred in low- to middle-income um, countries because of issues in healthcare infrastructure. Statistics Canada shows that between 2015 and 2020, 154 deaths occurred in women during pregnancy or within 42 days of delivery or the end of their pregnancy in Canada. As a student and woman in healthcare, I am responsible for advocating for women's health using the critical feminist lens to appraise the interpersonal, interpersonal and contextual views. Power and inequity seen through the feminist lens can also be seen in the healthcare workforce. Burgo discusses the disparities, disparities in her article, Women's work across every aspect of healthcare is largely invisible. Women compromise 82% of healthcare workers in Canada, yet lead fewer than 30% of hospitals and other healthcare organizations. There are only five female CEOs of the 23 academic hospitals in Ontario and two female deans of the 17 Canadian faculties of medicine as of the article publication. Women's participation in the health sector is highly stratified and being aware of this and using the critical feminist lens, I can advocate for change through my own practice. The final topic I'm going to discuss is leadership. The healthcare leadership model as laid out in the article by Collins et al, applying transformational leadership in nursing practice, a nursing standard, discusses nine dimensions to assist nurses when considering their leadership practice. These nine dimensions are as follows. Leading with care, inspiring a shared purpose, evaluating information, connecting our service, sharing the vision, engaging the team, holding to account, influencing for results, and developing capabilities. A wide range of approaches are available for growth and a better understanding of how to be an exemplary leader in healthcare. There are two types of leaders the transactional leader and the transformational leader. Collins et al. discusses these two types 
um, in their article as well. The transactional leader uses followers engagement through an exchange process, motivation with reward or punishment. So teams under a transactional leader are closely monitored and controlled um, and must obey the leader. The goals set out are clear but unchangeable and honest feedback is given um, on team member performance. Practices and rules are established based on what is most important to the leader. Uh, there's no avoidance to the correction of wrongdoings of the team members and the rewards for completion of tasks are defined before assigning someone to that duty. Although transactional leaders get the job done and make sure mistakes are evident and corrected, this type of leadership is not conducive to healthcare. On the other hand, the transformational leadership style is more appropriate for healthcare. Transformational leaders conduct themselves in four critical ways. Idealistic influence, so leading by example and setting expectations. Two, inspirational motivation, inspiring people to reach new heights. Three, intellectual stimulation, encouraging learning and growth. And four, individualistic consideration, so coaching and empowering to success. The video by Ara Group further explains what is meant, uh, what it means to be a transformational leader in healthcare, the benefits to patient outcomes, and the collaboration of healthcare practitioners. By using relational inquiry and expanding my knowledge base, I've gained a better understanding of how transformational leadership, especially Specifically, authentic transformational leadership is a pattern of transparent and ethical leader behavior, fostering openness and the sharing of information needed to make decisions while accepting followers' input. This is a behavior I can put into practice as a student and as a future RN. This concludes my um, Artifacts podcast. I hope it has been informational and transformational and has encouraged you, the listener, to evaluate your nursing practice and view these topics with a little more compassion and healthy curiosity. Thank you.